Okay. Okay, and ready? One. One, two, three. three. Good. I'll be able to line that up and we'll be good. Okay. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am on today with my friend Scott Reifen. Scott has not been on the show a long time. Welcome aboard again. Hi. Can you hear me oh. okay? Yeah, I can. And okay. then good. It's, it's always good when you do it with your best southern drawl when you say, Ah! <laughs> ha! <laughs> hey, y'all! <laughs> just, yeah, just I grew up with that. That's my... Yeah, well, you've been there your whole life, right? That's that's my native tongue. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I was born in the hospital here, uh, as opposed to you know in a farmhouse or anything. Though we, you know, we're we're south, but we're we have a little bit of technology, culture, sophistication. So I hear that I, I haven't seen yeah. it, but uh, actually, I don't mean to insult anybody. <laughs> I don't know why. Wow. Stupid about it. Wow. <laughs> uh, I have, I have no wait, reason. Wait, where'd Scott go? Wait, he's gone. I have no reason to think any less of you people except for your definitions of barbecue. And, <laughs> and we're not getting into that debate today. And that feeling's mutual, sir. Mutual. <laughs> well, I did I did get a kick out of the was it was it you or Ron that uh put the YouTube video of the the people who were horrified of the northerners who came down and invited everybody over I th- to <laughs> I think we both did, because I I think it there were a number of us down here that, that really hit home with us because this is apparently, I didn't realize it was an ongoing thing until Ron came to see you guys. And when he came back, he's like, the strangest thing happened. I'm like, what? Like, they said they were going to barbecue, and then they cooked hot dogs. I'm like, what? That's not barbecue. Uh, I said, no. Actually, actually, Ron is, is kind of insulting my bill of fare a little bit, though. Now, I understand we have a different difference of de- definition based on how it's cooked. But I didn't cook hot dogs. I cooked hot dogs. I cooked hamburgers. I cooked sausage. I cooked chicken kebabs. He, he did mention the hamburgers. He mentioned the hamburgers too. Yeah, he didn't mention the, the sausage. I was just chicken kebabs stuff. No, he didn't or mention the pasta sausage salad, which is obviously not barbecued. You know, and he would he would also leave those things out because of my special dietary uh, needs. So he wouldn't mention those. Well, your special dietary meat needs, I thought, were just. As long as it came from a living, walking creature, it's good. Yes, exactly. I don't eat plants, so like a potato salad would be was gross. No, no, no. I said pasta salad, not potato salad. Oh, pasta salad. Oh, that's was still. You know, there's something about pasta salad that the word salad just kind of ruins it for me. <laughs> I, I don't. Eat, I won't eat pasta salad. Well, it, it was. You know, I mean, we're talking three years ago already, so I don't. I don't want to be patting myself on the back for it, but it was very, very popular among the crowd. Well, that's good. And there would have been just as much to go around had I been there. That's the awesome part. <laughs> Except for Ron, who sat there in, in, a, in a snit the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> sulking. He was waiting for something smoked to be coming out. <laughs> he, was, he was looking for a Boston butt. So he wound up showing his butt instead. I had a, uh, a, a fairly lengthy conversation with uh, John Kreitz. Uh, we, we did an Is It Yours episode, but... Besides the episode, we were discussing barbecue, uh, and and he, you know, his definition mirrors your own. 
Oh, we were, we were much, <laughs> much more gentlemanly in the way we disagreed about it. Uh, Wait! <laughs> like, well, actually, were we so uncivil? Oh, I think you guys were, you know, not to say you were barbecuing <laughs> me, but you were pushing me up against the coals. <laughs> No, we were definitely not barbecuing you because we didn't put any rub on you. But that's the <laughs> thank God for that. <laughs> but but uh, he he did get me enticed to purchase a smoker. Ah. And, and he was sending me a website with recipes to use, and I was in Lowe's the other day. Do you have Lowe's down there? Oh, of course. Okay, yes. I don't know how. You know, some, yes. sometimes these corporations, like you get down south, and instead of calling it Lowe's, they have some other name for it or whatever. But anyway, uh, you know, now that the summer is coming to an end, they have some things on clearance, and they had a pretty good one for about two hundred bucks. Oh. Uh, and I was considering it. I have not purchased it yet, but I am considering it because I, I would like to expand my culinary uh, ability. Well, you, when you move into the world of actual barbecue. I'll be there. There you go. Okay. I promise you. Now, for for me, the, the definition will remain as it is, but I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind adding other things to it. My word is my bond. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah, so if I so if I go buy that smoker, I, I have a yeah. I have I have a, a blank check to tell you when you're coming up here to have food. Exactly. There you go. Okay, that works for me. <laughs> so, how's everything going otherwise? Oh, the world is a wonderful place. Uh, you know, things are things are moving along in beautiful Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, geekdom and, and fandom and all that other stuff are happening all around everywhere. It's amazing to me, you know, it's been a while since I've been on this show, but it's amazing to me just how I keep thinking the superhero comic book thing can't get any bigger and it keeps getting bigger. You're talking about the... Uh at the world at large, you know, the just, movies and Just everything? the cultural impact of it, yeah. Just... Except for the actual sales of comic books, everything's great. Isn't it, yeah, isn't that amazing how the, yeah. the source of it all is is dying a slow, painful death? Well, there's a reason for that. Well, there's, I think there's numerous reasons for it, honestly. Well, but the biggest the of which is, I think the biggest of which is the uh, distribution channels combined with price. I would also say the quality is consistently low. Uh a lot of new books. My buddy Glosson, Steve Glosson, Geek Out Loud, mm -hmm. called me one day. Big honk and he said, hey, Big Honk and Steve. And uh, he called me one day and said, uh, hey, have you read, and I can't remember the issue number now, but it was a, an issue of the Totally Awesome Hulk. He said, it showed up on Marvel Unlimited. Go check it out. I said, okay. He said, let me know if, <laughs> here's the question, let me know if you would pay three ninety nine for it. And, wow, all I can say is I couldn't believe, like, there was no, there was no conflict in the whole issue. You know, we, we tend to like to have superheroes, the, they finally broke down and had a fight. That's what I should have picked for my book tonight, because it's hilarious. Uh, it's so bad. Uh, they finally did have a fight, and it was because two of the characters were at dinner, and they were arguing over the check. <laughs> so they had a fight. Okay, I have not read any fight scene the awesome Hulk, so I can't, over the check. I can't comment, but you know what? I think asking you if three ninety nine is a fair price for it is an unfair question. Well, yeah, because because the premise of three ninety nine for a comic is ridiculous. Exactly, exactly. So but, my, my theory is now, like when I I'm going as we record this, this is going to be coming up 
This isn't going to appear on the feed for several weeks, but as we record mm. this, we're two days away from my going to New York Comic Con. When, I, oh, go, yes, when yes. I go to New York Comic Con, it is unlikely that I'm going to spend more than $2 for any given book. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be getting books I really want. And if I see yeah. them there for $3, I'm probably going to walk right by them. And that's books I really want that are 40 years old. Sure. So why would I spend three ninety nine for something that you know is on the bookshelves now? It's just I just right. wouldn't. So the the question to me is, you know, for this totally awesome Hulk, whatever that is, mm -hmm. uh, would you spend a buck for it? <laughs> you know, because no. to me that's the fair question. If you say if you say no it's, to that question, then you say to me, okay, that that's not a good comment. It, it's it's kind of like when I spent twenty dollars for a VHS of Plan Nine. <laughs> You know, you spend it, but you know you're not getting something good. You're getting something that deliberately is bad so you can show it to people. It was why I was happy that I spent the $20 on Mind Meld, the DVD. Did you ever see that? No, I have not. Oh, uh, William Shatner was selling this thing through his website sometime in the late 90s. And Mind Meld was literally, he sat down in his backyard with Leonard Nimoy, and they just had like an hour conversation. And it's, it was really interesting, an interesting idea, so I bought it. And it's okay, but what makes it really special is at one point during, during the video, Shatner farts <laughs> and <laughs> kind of tries to pass it off, no pun intended. And uh, it just, you know, and I, was, I remember watching it the first time and just stopping cold going, wait a minute, did he just, did that just happen? Back it up! <laughs> and so I spent like the day going, I can't believe this has happened. I wonder if anybody else noticed this. And like two weeks later, I heard Howard Stern was making a huge issue out of it. See, now, this was in the 90s? Yeah. See, and, that, and that's where I have my problem. Because if this happened now, I'd say, you know, the guy's in his late 80s. Give him a break. You know, you <laughs> pass a little gas, you don't even know what's coming. But at that point, he would have been, you know, in his 50s or his early yeah. 60s. Yeah, he would have been in his probably mid-60s. Yeah, because so, about, it was about 20 years ago, and uh, he's about 84, 85 now, so. 87. 87? Okay, so it would have been 67. So does that make it more passable? No oh, pun intended. you know what, at 50, 55, I can't, <laughs> I can't say if we were sitting in my backyard melding mines, I might. <laughs> I can't promise you it wouldn't happen to me. It's a, it's a great clip, and at one point it was on YouTube, and I could just pull up YouTube and show it to people and go, can you believe that? And somehow it's all been removed due to copyright violations. Uh, but I do still have that DVD, and I'm proud to have spent the 20 bucks I spent on it purely for that moment alone. Uh, and somebody actually enforced the copyright on that thing. <laughs> oh, well, Shatner probably is like, i got to get these, I've got to get these farts off of YouTube. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but, again, just, just you know, going back to the comic books, as much as I love that story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I basically, you know, I just, I, I just really just don't have the room just to have books that are newer. Mm -hmm. You know, so something like Marvel Unlimited is like a perfect thing because it takes up no space, you know, and you get the freedom to read whatever you want or most of, most of whatever you want. Marvel Unlimited is a godsend. You know, every so often, something happens that makes me go, this is why God created man. At one <laughs> point, I thought it was the season DVD box set. But I was wrong. 
because Netflix binging of seasons of TV blew that out of the water. Uh, yes and no. Finish your thought. <laughs> finish your thought, and then I'll tell you why oh, they say that. But I, but Marvel Unlimited may be the reason we were put on this earth. There you go. Well, the the reason I have my you know some reservations about Netflix and or Marvel Unlimited is just because mm. you're still beholden to what they choose to put out there. Uh, yeah. You know, at, at one point, uh, Netflix had Doctor Who on it. And my daughter and I started saying, okay, let's watch these. And we watched about two seasons, and then we went to continue watching, and all of a sudden, oh, it's gone. It's been on Prime for as long as I remember. So, but, you know, yeah, it's on Prime, and I have Prime now, so we should have picked uh, up see? watching it again, but we haven't. But things things come and go on Netflix or Prime or whatever streaming service you use. So that's where the season DVDs still beat them out as far as I'm concerned because now you have ownership of them. That's true. The That's only true. the only negative is as I get older, I have come to realize that the things you think are permanent in life aren't. No. You know, so I, there was a time when I thought, you know, okay, I have all these VHS tapes, I'm set. I'm set yes. for life. Oh, it's so funny you say that. And then we went to DVD and then we went to Blu-ray and then we go to streaming <laughs> services. And, you know, little by little, DVDs and Blu-rays may start fading from consciousness. And they may go away. I oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know. I don't know to what extent they're going to. Uh, they completely will at some point. But that's the problem, is permanency does not exist as you think it does when you're young. Nope. Yep. And I'm trying to explain that to my son, who's, you know, he's got like 100 Blu-rays now. And it's like, son, don't go down this road. I went down this road. Please don't go down this road. Um, I can tell you it's it's a mistake, uh, but it's funny you say that because I'm actually engaged in a project right now where I'm trying to recover. Uh, in 1982, uh, my gifted class buried a time capsule, and we buried it in my teacher's backyard to be opened 30 years later in 2012. Well, inside of a year, my teacher was dead, and. Uh, over the years, the, the the other kids in the class and I have kept in a little bit of touch, and you know that it, the subject comes up every so often. You know what? What about that? What about that? Uh, that uh, time capsule? And I always think, well, I need to do something about it. Well, I, I've been trying to find the address, and I finally have the address. Now I just got to get the guy's permission to hack up his backyard and try and figure <laughs> out what this thing is. You know, we gave a map to find it to the school, and I went to the school. I was like, you still have that map? Well, yeah, what are you talking about, map? We got nothing. So Get off our lawn. Yeah, get off our lawn. So um, uh, I'm actually trying to do that, but I remember one of the things that we buried in there was a 45, a single of the number one song in the country the week we buried it. Which and, was? You know, uh, it was Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Uh, you see, now you got to talk to Bill Salivating. <laughs> But the thing is, you know, at the time we thought, well, when we open this, we'll just pop it on a record player and play it and see if it's still in good shape. Anybody Not even thinking. Player? Yeah, that's the thing. I had to go get a record player the other day just to be ready for this thing. Well, and so, that's, the yeah, that's the flip side to what we just said, though, because I things had, come back. I had an extensive LP collection, and. In the late 80s to the 90s, I shifted to CDs, which are now uh, passe as well. Uh, yes. But I, at some point in the early 90s, I got rid of my LP collection. Whoops. And then it was about two years ago, someone who was moving gave me 
copies of some old Beatles LPs. Mm-hmm. And I was intrigued by this and had to find myself a turntable, which I have since purchased. And, uh, and then I, there's, there's actually a, uh, a used record store, not too, nice. too far from here. And I've gotten a couple of, you know, I've, I've re-acquired re- uh, some of the old LPs. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to limit myself to only getting the things I know I want to listen to, not just yes. get things to have a collection. Yeah, you know, this sure. the goal is not, the goal is purely listening. It's not collecting, uh, and but it's funny because like if you go into, you know, if you find a Barnes and Noble and you go into it and you go into the record area, you want to get an album of something from the seventies. You're looking at you know twenty five thirty dollars for it. Yes, you are. I was buying. I buy these used records generally in the range of two ninety nine or three ninety nine each. <laughs> I, bought, I bought Wings Over America, which was one of my favorite albums in the oh, nice. 70s. A three album set, three ninety nine. That's the live album, right? Yes. Yeah, three ninety nine. Yes, and it plays wow. fine. Wow. You know, it's used, but it plays fine. You know, you might hear a little crackling here and there, but that's almost that's almost the uh, you know the kitschy joy of listening to LPs. Yeah. Well, the funny thing to me is we have a lot of young enthusiasts of vinyl, and they always. You know, I have conversations with these guys who are like, yeah, it sounds so much better than digital and MP3. Man, you can just hear the sound quality in there. It's like you're playing it on a turntable you bought at Books a Million that has a plastic needle and a speaker <laughs> that's the size of my knuckles. What are you talking about? Well, I, I have heard some digital recordings where I guess they're compressed so far that they really don't sound. Uh, oh, sure. But, but, but there's, I, I, don't think, I don't think you have a legitimate argument argument to say that all digital recordings sound bad. I think no, that's, that's and, just silly. And let me just step up another level, and that is most of the records that are being put out today are being made from digital masters. Oh! Yeah. Did I that, say that? That is true. I did. You Darn did, it. and you're accurate, actually. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, is, you know, everybody gets into these, uh, you know, these talking points, I guess, and they just accept them as yes. fact, and then, you know, the... Uh, it, Perception hey. becomes fact, or fact becomes perception, yeah. or however you want to say it. You know, they've heard it enough times that now they start thinking it when they're listening to it. You know, it, here's the thing. If you're playing vintage vinyl on a $300 turntable with a nice sound system, I'll give you that maybe you can find it, you know, your ear hears it better. Mine, not so much, but I, I get that. But when you're buying some chintzy turntable and you're just slapping any old vinyl on there claiming it sounds better, you're, you're not right. Yeah, uh, I just say it that way. Not about being with you at all, but uh, there there is just a certain nostalgia to listening to things on vinyl for me, and that's oh, there is that's what I enjoy now. And you know, it's funny because you know, I'm I'm in the I've acquired a turntable now for the purpose of this thing, and I keep thinking, what do I want to listen to on my own with this? And the only thing that keeps coming up are my old Power Records. That's like the one thing I would listen to Power Records. <laughs> You know, what about Spider-Man, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes? Those are the things I want to listen to in Power... You know, Six Million Dollar Man, Kojak! Remember they made a Kojak Power Record? I do not remember the Kojak. Yes, Kojak was, did Power Records, too, yeah. What gets me about stuff like this, I'm pretty confident they did not get Telly Savalas to do it. Oh, no, no, it was all guys, you know, it was all voice guys from around the studio. Hey, could you be Lee Majors real quick? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's... Uh, there's a whole Kojak thing on Power Records. I'll have to see if I can't dig it up and send it to you. 
<laughs> it's probably available on YouTube digitally. It's quality stuff. You know, it was funny because uh, when I was when when Dinner for Geeks when we all liked each other, um, we did an episode where we talked about Power Records, and like right after that, Shag started up a Power Records podcast, like almost the same release day. It was really weird. Mm. Well, isn't that Rob Kelly? I thought it was him, not Shaq. Oh, was it Rob? Okay. Uh, it was a fire and water related yeah. thing, I thought. Yeah, so I guess... I'm pretty that, sure that's Rob. Yeah, see, I don't I don't, I don't, don't really know Rob as well as I know Shaq, because Shaq and I have got the Tallahassee connection going. Right. Yeah, well, I, I've gotten to know both of them over the last few years. Yeah. Good guys. Sure, sure. So, uh, have you been doing much comic shopping slash reading lately? Uh, Star Wars. You know, I've kind of really. You, I've yeah, done that. I've heard, I've heard tell that you like that show. <laughs> that show. Here's ten dollars. Go see a Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. And, I mean, and that's, you know, and then you know every, time I, I, every time we go into that, I start thinking, is that the Return of the Jedi? <laughs> 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 that story is still uh, with me. Oh, I forgot about that story until you reminded me just now. I. You know, I bared a lot on that show. By God, I guess that's what made people like it, though. I mean, we did, you know, we put everything out there. I think so. I think that's, you know, you know, the reality of it is there's a million comic book podcasts out there. There's a million geek podcasts out there. So if you're not putting a little of your personality into it, then what's the point? Of, you know, why do people want to listen to you? Yeah, that's true. Is that the return of the Jedi? Oh, I don't even. I'm not even going to explain that one. This is a family podcast. If anybody wants to know, you'll have to see the back catalog of Dinner for Geeks to hear about how Scott's mother confronted him with a with a VHS tape, uh, which had something beyond the Return of the Jedi on it. Uh, but it did have the Return of the Jedi on it. Just other stuff too. At that point, I was 15. Anyway, so uh, so you've been reading the uh, the Marvel Star Wars books and pretty much. I've been reading the Return of the Jedi. It's and the Awesome Hulk. And the totally awesome. Hulk. No, you know that's the thing though that's great about um, uh, Marvel Unlimited. You know, I actually started doing a little thing with Steve Glosson where we started doing what we call the Marvel the MU read through. <laughs> we would go back and find an old story arc or an old storyline that either we, we loved back then and kind of re-experienced it or one that we never really had gone out and, and read and kind of read those and talk about them, summarize them. Uh, we did The Death of Gene DeWolf, which he had never read and I had. And so we both kind of came at it from a little different perspective. Hello, these on Geek uh, you know, Out Loud? I had to see if it was still great. Yeah, it's on, uh, it's on Geek Out Loud. It's on the main feed. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't... I don't know why, but, but Geek Out Loud fell off my list and not intentionally i never deleted it intentionally well, but i'm gonna have to go back and, and resubscribe to that and, and pull up some of those episodes well his his productivity has not exactly been tremendous either so that's probably part of why you have it so he just hasn't put out a lot of episodes he's been busy he's been a busy man no, uh, i've got him doing shows for me on the radio tell you the truth so uh, you know, I, I just that guy's a unique talent. He's a special, singular, unique talent, and uh, and so, you know, I, I try to find opportunities to help him out when I can. Well, so, I, I would I would describe him, on your show. him as one of the guys who you listen to him, and even though you've never met him, you feel like you know him. 
Yes, absolutely. And we became friends because I had listened to him and I felt that way. And I wanted him for my Star Wars story, which is a great idea and no one will ever steal it. Oh, except except for StarWars.com. <laughs> they stole it today or yesterday. Didn't but, really, uh, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't see that? Oh, they've, they've, <laughs> they have unveiled a brand new video series where every week they will spotlight of the life of a Star Wars fan and tell his story from start to finish. It's called Our Star Wars Stories. And that's uh, so. Yeah, I guess you should copyrighted it. Yeah, well, you know what I did. I went and looked up to see if they had bought the domain for ourstarwarsstories dot com, and they didn't. So I did and redirected it all to my Star Wars story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, but so today I'm going to just kind of yeah. steer us to it. Uh, we each, yes. we each wrote a book. Nobody doctor yes. builds it today. Nobody doctor build it. Doctor Bill comes without a book. Oh, that's not right. So uh, that's why we call him Bookless Bill. Bookless <laughs> Bill. But today we have book filled Paul and Scott. That's right. And you have the Marvel and the older book. Yes. So you will go first, unless you have a problem going okay. first, in which case then I wouldn't no. let you go first. No, and I'll tell you, I picked this book because uh, in discussing that MCMU read-through with uh, with Glosson, we wanted to touch on some old John Byrne FF, because I love John Byrne FF, but it occurred to me I really hadn't read the first issue of his run. And so I said, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I wanted to do it anyway, and you called me with an opportunity to do the show, and I said, well, let's make... Let's make you know these two things match up. So, Fantastic Four two thirty two is my book. Which I guarantee you that Mr. Gardner will hear this and say, "Oh my God, you're doing John Byrne's first issue as the writer artist, and I'm not here, <laughs> and I'm not there." Yes, right. <laughs> he's gonna be he's gonna be pissed. Ah, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? So, do you want the summary? I do. Okay, here we go. Uh, this, the title, by the way, also fitting for this episode, it's Back to the Basics. How weird is that? That's double entendre of sorts. It's like, almost, well, it is for the story, yes, and it's almost the name of the podcast we're on, so I thought that was kind of neat. That is actually, um, I forgot what podcast we were doing. <laughs> Words and pictures by John Byrne, inks by Bjorn Hein. Now, I'm going to interrupt you. Are you familiar with Bjorn Hein? At all? Because I'm no, not. but it seems like a fake name. No, that's, that's what I was thinking, possibly. Okay, go ahead. I, in fact, in fact, you know, it's kind of almost like John Burns name. Oh, I wonder if he inked it himself. That, and... That's interesting. Oh. <laughs> I didn't think of oh. that because I'm not that pro. Here we go. <laughs> all right, I'm looking up comicbookdatabase.com, and it says Bjorn Hein, also credited as John Byrne. There you go. Bjorn Hein is an anagram of John Byrne used only in Fantastic Four 232. So there it is, John Byrne. I had a feeling. Uh, Jim Novak is the letterer. Glennis Wayne is the colorist. Jim Salakrup is the editor. And, of course, Shooter is the editor-in-chief. The story is called Back to the Basics. Uh, and it opens with uh, the Diablo like Fantastic Four classic villain Diablo. 
and he's got these four floating Fantastic Four dolls over a cauldron with floating candles everywhere, and he's talking about how he's going to destroy them through their images, and he's really going on a tear, and then all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and it's his landlord, and so he has to turn into a balding old man to answer the door. Um, yes, Mrs. Mulligan, is there some problem? What are those horrible smells? Are you cooking in your room, Mr. Obeyed? And he says, oh no, Mrs. Mulligan, I wouldn't think of such a thing. Well, see that you don't! And he closes the door and turns back into Diablo. Because that's how he rolls. Continues to cook up his formula. What is his formula going to be? We don't know other than he's trying to destroy the Fantastic Four. Or, as my Puerto Rican friend Ada calls them, El Cuatro Fantástico. So then they cut to a hair salon where Sue Richards is having her hair done. And her uh, hairdresser is setting her up with a new style when suddenly the ground is churned up and a big creature crawls out of the ground and says he's looking for the invisible girl. Everybody flees, leaves her behind. She changes subtly into her invisible, invisible girl outfit and takes on this giant creature of the earth who then covers her in dirt, which freezes her solid. Cut to a Broadway theater. A showing of the Elephant Man. We don't know if Mark Campbell is playing the Elephant Man in this particular performance. Ben Grimm, oddly enough, his own sort of modern-day Elephant Man, comes out of the theater with his lovely girlfriend, Alicia Masters. And it starts raining on Ben, but no one else. When that rain suddenly becomes a giant bubble around Ben Grimm, he can't breathe, he's going to drown, he can't escape the water bubble. Tries to go through the sidewalk and... He starts to black out. We cut to Johnny Storm, who's flying over Central Park to meet his girlfriend, Frankie Ray, who we I think we know what happens to her in a few issues, don't we, Paul? We do. We do. She becomes what happens to her in a few issues. She well, she doesn't become Nova just yet, but she becomes Nova. Uh, she doesn't hang out with Charlton Heston, unfortunately. <laughs> Your yeah, name she's... is Nova. Yeah, I, you know, she was introduced, and I don't mean to interrupt your synopsis, but she was introduced no, earlier. No, do it. And they had this thing where she was afraid of fire or whatever. And I don't know if John Byrne just picked that up and did what was originally planned for her, or if he went on his own little side journey with her that wasn't in the plans. I'm not sure. But it's, it would be interesting hmm. to know if this was purely his idea or if he was just executing someone else's idea. That is a good question. Or whether or not he just read the room. So Johnny comes to meet her. He does decide to flame off before he comes to see her, by the way, so he doesn't freak her out. And when he gets there, he's snatched up in a tornado. The wind carries him away, and only him drops everybody else. Then we cut to Baxter Building. Oh, the Baxter Building, the lovely, glorious, beautiful Baxter Building. Reed Richards is doing some work, stretching around, and suddenly a burst of flame pops into the lab. He's attacked by a flame creature. Hmm. So let's see, again, Sue Storm attacked by an earthen dirt creature. Ben Grimm attacked by a water creature. Hmm. Johnny Storm attacked by an air creature. Now, a fire creature. So clearly it is, crystal, it is crystal of the Inhumans attacking them. <laughs> it could be, when you think about it. Reed uses his powers to escape. Gets out. Finds uh, Frankie, actually, in Central Park. And uh, uh, Johnny's nearby. And... Uh, Everybody starts mixing it up. The flame guy comes up, says he's not supposed to engage with Johnny. Johnny decides to engage the flame guy. The air guy comes up and starts harassing Reed. Sue finally busts out of the prison. 
that the dirt guy has put her in and uses her force fields to keep him at bay. She then starts flying on her air pocket, which is kind of a new invention for her, I think, at that point. I think that's a John Byrneism. And then uh, Ben Grimm stumbles into a sporting goods store. As the air is about to leave his lungs for good, he finds a scuba tank and someone shoves the air hose into him. The water creature jumps off of him and jumps onto an innocent human being, but there are no other scuba tanks. So he gives her his scuba tank and then the water creature says, oh yeah, well I'll get you, Ben Grimm. But Sue Storm jumps in and saves the day, puts that force field up there. And then Ben Grimm gets to face the dirt monster. So see... It's establishing something about the Fantastic Four, because one of the things this issue is supposed to do, and John Byrne's mission in general, is to strip the Fantastic Four back down to their basics, correct? Yes. And really, they are elemental, right? The thing is definitely your Earth creature. Mm -hmm. uh, the torch is definitely your fire. Whoa, Sue whoa, Storm whoa, is your air. Talk. I know, I know, isn't it? Uh, then you've got Sue Storm, who's kind of the, uh, the air creature. You know, She can manipulate the air around you through her invisible fields, and then you've got uh, Mr. Fantastic, who flows like water. Malleable. Yes. So, Mr. Fantastic gets involved in this. Sue helps him escape from the air creature, because, again, that's kind of her matchup, and uh, they then fight basically each other's foe and wipe them out until Johnny has to have his final conflict with the flame creature, which basically... He takes them up so high in the atmosphere that uh, all the oxygen burns off the creature and the creature is destroyed. All of the creatures are destroyed when their powers are used against them and they're transformed into something else. Next thing they have to figure out is what happened here. Well, they know it's Diablo, so they play some phone calls to an important friend who will help them locate Diablo. And as Diablo tries to escape, they snatch him in the fantastic car, thanks to the help of one Stephen Strange. And Stephen Strange bids them adieu as they take off with... Diablo. Next issue. Mission for a dead man. <sighs> and that's it. That's my summary, and I'm sticking to it. That's a, quite a good summary. Uh, Thank you. I love this issue. I thought this was great. I, I remember looking I, forward to yes. it so much when, you know, when this was coming out. Uh, now, mm -hmm. I like Bill Sienkiewicz. I like his work. I do not think it is it is at all relatable for the Fantastic Four. I think that's a terrible match. Before we got to Byrne, Bill yeah. Kevich was drawing the Fantastic Four. I yeah. thought those issues were virtually unreadable. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when it was announced that Byrne was taking over the writing and art on Fantastic Four, I had some skepticism because I did not know what his writing would be like. But I was still excited by mm -hmm. the prospect of it. Uh, I anticipated that the stories were going to start off very simple in the beginning, and then maybe you know as he got his footing, get more complicated, which is kind of what happened. That's exactly uh, you know, what this, happened. Yeah. This is a fairly simple story. Uh, you know, like you say, it's back to the basics. Uh, he he not only did he bring the storyline back to the basics, but he also kind of brought the artwork a little bit back to basic on them. The the characters were. You know, made a little bit more simple. They weren't they weren't so much drawn, at least like especially Reed. I don't think he was drawn in the house style. He was you know he was made to be a little bit more scrawny looking and a little older looking. Yeah. Uh, well, and if you notice, his his forehead is larger because of that big brain. Well, the the big brain, and he's older, so his hairline's receding a little. Exactly. Yes. 
So, you know, that doesn't actually happen in real life, you know, not to me. <laughs> I got a hand like Stalin. <laughs> but that's besides the point. But I am getting, I am starting to get Reed's great temples. Yes. Aren't they great? Yeah, I'm, I'm I, cool I'll never it. forget. When my kid was six years old and we were talking about what he wanted to be for Halloween and he looked at me and he goes, you can go as Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, sadly, he didn't survive. But that's okay. We, we made another one. Uh, but, uh, well, anyway, on that sad note, uh, <laughs> you know, I, he, he's laying some seeds for some stories here. You know, he, he really did have a better grasp on storytelling than I even thought he did. And I think it's, you know, part, partly because of the Marvel method and how much he really was a co-plotter and co-writer with Chris Claremont yes. during this time on the X-Men. Yeah, yes, he spent a lot of time kind of honing those chops. Exactly. So, so really, the only thing he needed to to get by was, you know, probably two elements. As far as I'm thinking, is one, he's now doing it alone, so he doesn't have a sounding board to work with, and two, he's got to do the dialogue on his own. Yeah. But uh, who who edited this one? Because you know, you figure you can work a little bit with Salakra. And I have no idea. I mean, I know the name Jim Salaker, but I really don't know his work and his style to know well enough, you know, if, if he would have been a good partner as an editor or if he's just, you know, let let Byrne do his work and get out of the way. I'm not sure which it was. Uh, yeah. But certainly, you know, I mean, the, the Byrne run on the Fantastic Four is, is classic. So there's no question it, it, it exceeded everybody's expectations going into it. Uh, I thought it was a good choice to go with a villain like Diablo early on. You know, he's somebody who you really didn't see much of, so you could play with him a little bit. Uh, yep. And, and so, you know, just, again, some interesting choices because the confrontation with between the Fantastic Four and Diablo is just for, whatever, two panels? And and it's not a fight at all. It's just them taking him into custody. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, th there is no physical battle or anything like that. He's not made to be some sort of physical threat to them because he's not. Uh, he, you know, he, and even, you know, Reed kind of dismisses him a little bit too, because he, when he talks about it, he says, you know, there's only two people who could have done this and it's not, you know, I, I don't remember what he says, you know, not sophisticated enough or not, uh, uh, classy enough for Dr. Dr. Doom to have done it. Yeah. So, you know, he, he even, even Reed is putting him down. <laughs> but, you know, the, the threat that he posed wasn't a B-list threat. So it was, uh, I thought it was a a well-done story and again you know it, it it as you say it was kind of back to basics but it was it did strip it down and remind you in a very weird sense of this is who these guys are this is who they are as a family this is what their powers are this is what they represent uh, you know by matching them up with those villains and and pointing out what they represent as far as the earth elements and that kind of thing uh, it really was kind of a back to basics approach yes and, and I liked the whole teamwork aspect of it, uh, you know, where, where they start switching foes. I mean, that's that's a classic uh, comic uh, trope where, where the team, you know, is being defeated by certain villains. And then they say, oh, you know, let's do the switcheroo. And all of a sudden they're able to, to beat the other person. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, guess one story element that just seems like a little convenient is, you know, the master told us I'm not allowed to fight my analog. You know, yeah. But, yeah. Why? <laughs> why did the master <laughs> tell you that? I, I don't get it. Well, because it was going to be their undoing. 
the analog would find a way to undo them, mm -hmm. and that's what happened. Yeah, it is what happens. The, the problem is he shouldn't have said it. Yeah, exactly. Just keep your mouth shut and beat up on these guys some more. Let it, let it just develop on its own. You know, that, that comes into, I guess, the show me, don't tell me. Yes. By saying it, it, it almost seems a little clunky. Um, mm -hmm. Reed also kind of figures things out a little bit too quickly, and I'm, I'm willing to give Reed the benefit of the doubt that he's more intelligent than me. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he has the clues to deduce what he does. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can go with you on there, but you know, I keep going back to, I look at things like there's a creature crawling out of the earth. Uh, there's discussion of using the flare gun. There are so many little nods to the first issue of fantastic four in this thing. Mm -hmm. I, I also like that. the fact that he went back to the original, uh, fantastic car. Yes, yes. Again, just lots of nods to old school Fantastic Four that I, you know, is there a sense of convenience? Yes, but in the, at the same time, there's also a sense of we've got to end this story in one issue. And uh, that's not something that happens in our other book this this time around. So, Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I generally feel when Byrne inks himself, and now, you know, we've become aware in the course of recording this, that uh, that this is Byrne inking himself. I yeah. generally feel that a lot of times it looks a little rushed when he does that. Uh, There's a sloppiness, but I always liked that. But I don't see the sloppiness in this issue. Hmm. I would, uh, I'd point you to page 11. I guess, I don't know if it's page 11 on the page version you've got or not, but the first scene would reads it. Yes. There's a lot of just stray lines and and uh, there's some sloppy looking things there. But I think also probably he was trying to hit it a little harder than he normally would. You know, and he's not doing Alpha Flight and Fantastic Four, penciling and inking and writing every month. And, you know, I, I think he's probably, uh, he's probably not as stretched thin as he was later. And again, I think he's trying to make a much better impression at this point. Well, this is his first issue as the, yeah. as both, cause he did a couple of issues earlier in the, in the 200s as penciler, as penciler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but now this is his first taking on double duty with it. Uh, and there's a couple of pages where I think, you know, he could have done a little bit more with the backgrounds than he did, but for the most part, it's there. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, like I said, I, I, you know, I said a couple of pages, I'm going to take that back a couple of panels where I felt like he could have done a little bit more with the background, but not even pages. Uh, the last page of the story in particular, uh, which is almost ironic to me that, uh, you know, we're going back to the basics. It does not look like a Jack Kirby style. It looks like a Steve Ditko style to me. Interesting. Interesting. And I, and I note that the, uh, the Dr. Strange in the story is very classic looking, mm -hmm. which would, which would again point towards Ditko. Or even in, you know, the first three panels, the, the uses of shadow and light are very Ditko-esque. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. But, uh, you know, overall, I think the artwork is really solid. And again, like I said, I, I generally would rather he didn't ink himself, but... <laughs> Yeah, see that's and I do I actually do prefer it when he inks himself. But I think I think this is one of his better jobs of inking himself. And like you said, you know, he, that he, he seemed to really want to hit this one hard. Uh, yeah. And and I think, you know, story wise, I, I think he did a really good job by maybe not trying to go immediately into the blockbuster. 
trying to just tell you know a, a contained story just to again I, I hate to just keep repeating myself but to bring it back to basics uh bring it back to basics a little bit and modernize it at the same time changing Stu's hairstyle yep. a little bit uh you know, and giving her a, a new use for her power. It's kind of because she kind of reasons it out in the thing. She says, "Well, you know, Iceman kind of slides on a on a slide of ice. Maybe I could do that with my force field. Let me see." And she does, and so that becomes kind of a method of transportation for her. Yeah, that's. Although I don't know if she uses that all that much. I don't know if that translates. Now his his thing where he has her uh, using her powers to keep her uniform invisible. While she's wearing yes. a skirt and a blouse, uh, it's kind of a cool idea. I don't know if it would be if it would work in reality, because if you tried to put on clothes and then put clothes over them, I don't know if they would sit right. Yeah, you know, I, well, I know it's kind it, of a skin tight uniform, but just the same. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It does depend on how tight. It does depend on how tight. And would your skin look somewhat constricted if it was? And would, you know, exposed in a skin-tight outfit. And would you also be sweating, like, and miserable? That could be, too, yes. Absolutely. But I'm sure Reed's probably found a way to build air conditioners into these things. <laughs> but overall, no, I enjoyed this thing a lot. Yeah, I, I did, too, and I hadn't read it in quite a while. Uh, so I, I, I was glad when you picked this one and I pulled it out and read it again because, like I said, it's been a long time. Uh, yeah. I like the way he drew the elemental torch as opposed to the human torch. Uh, more reminiscent of the way the original human torch used to be drawn. Yes. And, and again, I, I kind of like that. To early, a nod to early FF again. A lot of that happening in this. Yeah, well, it, it's also, if, you know, if you hearken back to the first issue of the Fantastic Four, at the beginning of the story, they were all separate. Reed is in the lab. He, yep. he shoots the... Uh, Fires the, the flare, flare up, and then they're all doing their individual things, and and mm -hmm. and meet up and and act as a team. So, yep. you know, very reminiscent of that in its own way as well. Yep, uh, I, no doubt. You know, I liked he gave the thing a chance to be self-sacrificing uh, mm -hmm. with the scuba gear when the, when the water elemental jumps on the lady who had given him the scuba thing, and then he. Gives it over to her, knowing that the water thing is going to jump right back on him. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and even the way the uh, the the box reads, he has two choices: surrender his air tank to save the woman, or stand by helplessly and watch his rescuer drown. For Ben Grimm, that is no choice at all. And I, I kind of like that because it's you know it's it's stating the obvious, but I think it's also underlining it a little bit. It's emphasizing it. Yeah. Uh, completely agree. Completely agree. Just, you know, again, I, I can understand why Scott's going to be annoyed at us for recovering this book without him. <laughs> it's just a great book. No uh, doubt. No doubt. A lot of the artwork touches are just really good. I, I, I'm just looking at some individual panels that I really like. You know, the splash page is, is very well drawn, which is, you know, practically the same thing as the cover, but still different enough. Uh, Again, you know, the, the second, I'm just looking, going through it page by page. The second page, again, to me, seems to use shadow in a Steve Ditko-esque Steve Ditko -esque kind of way. Mm -hmm. uh, then we go on to the rock creature, which I think is just, you know, 
it's got very little detail to it, but it looks menacing. Yeah, but again, as it, to me, it's a bit of a nod to the first issue with the Mole Man's creatures. It kind of strikes me as being one of the Mole Man's thugs. Mm -hmm. Only it's much better spoken. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I come for the I come for she who is the invisible girl. Woe betide those who stand in my way. You generally don't expect your rock creatures to speak that way. No, no. Uh, usually they get a little tongue tied. <laughs> uh, I, I especially like the, the panel where he, uh, with the, where the rock creature, uh, punches up from the ground at the thing. Also, you know, the, I think the. You know, the Reed using himself, like, to billow himself out and use himself almost as a parasail. Uh, I think that's been done elsewhere, but rarely. But again, it goes back to, uh, you know, his his being able to flow. You know, it goes back to, let's break him down to what he is. And that, to me, was... To me, that was a more important part of the story than who the villain is and what the villain is doing. It really, to me, was about... Let's reintroduce these guys and explain them to you in a way that you can just pick it up and run. Yeah, I think, you know, Diablo's almost a MacGuffin in this issue. It almost yep. doesn't matter who he is the villain, just as long as he's nope. able to. And, and again, that's why he, they really don't have to confront him for much. Nope, exactly. So, and again, you know, the, the switching, of, uh, switching of villains. I, I like that he empowers Sue, which is something that wasn't always done. Uh, you know, no. that, that ultimately did defeat the, uh, the air creature, you know, that, that she's the one who has to, you know, push her powers to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, again, that's a theme throughout the burn run as he continually kind of ups the ante on Sue's power and kind of brings her, uh, into a much more equal status. Uh, than she'd been treated as before, because she was always kind of, oh, the silly girl mm -hmm. in the team. Yeah. Uh, when when she was quite possibly the most powerful of the bunch. Well, and, and I like the way that sometimes they turn that stuff on its ear a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they did it with Sue Storm. They did it with Jean Grey. Uh, they've done it with, yeah. with different female characters in the Avengers, where they were looked at early on when, uh, oh, just enough already. <laughs> So, you know, they, they, they take the character that is generally, or was written, I guess, unfortunately, under Stan Lee, but it was a different era. So I think you got to give some, you know, give some leeway for that. Uh, but they take the character that was written as the weak one that was always, you know, the damsel in distress that the villain would uh, grab a hold of yep. and threaten the rest of the team, you know, because they had that one as a hostage and turn it on its ear and make her the most powerful one in the group. And, and exactly, and it's to me, it's it's creative writing a little bit because, as originally written, Sue Storm was the weakest one of the group. With you know, so you you had to be a little clever to come up with ways for her to use her power where she would be the most powerful one. And they did that, and I think that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's people yep. talk about uh, you know, with with the female characters, 
and I, I hope not to get too politically incorrect here, but how some stories are written where, uh, what's the term they use? Mary Sue? Is that the term? Mm-hmm. Where, where they, they empower them just for the sake of empowering them. Yes, and then suddenly they're good at everything, but none of it's earned. Yeah. And it becomes uninteresting because they are just so good. Yeah, and in this um, case, or in these cases even that I'm, that I'm citing, I don't think that's what they did. I think they actually did make it earned. No. Well, and, and that's why I like that they brought it on gradually. I mean, you see the seeds of it here, but it, it only grew and grew and grew as time went on. I mean, one thing that I will say about John Byrne was he was a master plotter, you know, as far as, as far as sowing the seeds for things, putting them in the book, sprinkling the details throughout, and then paying them off much, much later. Well, I think that is a talent that he had as well as Chris Claremont. Yes. I think they both had that ability, and I think when they worked together... They probably helped each other to hone that. Yeah. Well, with neither of those guys, is there a wasted interlude? If we if we see something in an issue that we don't think directly relates to the issue, you better believe it's coming back sometime. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I just can't give enough positives about this, to be honest with you. I really have no yeah. negatives. My closest thing to a negative was I just thought Reed figured it out too quick. But that's about yeah. it. No. And that's not even a negative. And again, that's, that's a slight no. nitpick. But it's it's back in the day when you had to wrap it up in an issue. And this is not a story that deserves two issues. No. It's just not a two-part story. So it kind of had to go down that way. And so I'm okay with it. To make this a two-part issue, they just would have had to add more fight scenes. <laughs> there, there wouldn't, well, there wouldn't have they, been more character development. And there wouldn't have been no. more plot development it just would have been no. let's let's drag out the fight scenes you know something that i did in two pages here let's do in five or six pages yeah and there's plenty of fights in here i mean i'm good with it i, I think the pacing is really good and that's another thing sometimes these writers or these artists who become writers don't get at first is the pacing of a story and uh he is very solid on the pacing mm-hmm yeah, it flows right along. There's, there's never a yeah. point where, you know, you, you have your slight slowdown, but the slowdown is, serves a purpose in the story. Like, you know, when you go yeah. from Sue fighting the rock creature to a slowdown where we have uh, Alicia and Ben coming out of the uh, the play, and then he's fighting, and then we have a slowdown when Johnny meets Frankie. And then yeah. that fight is going on, and we have a slowdown while Reed is working in the lab. But the slowdowns all serve a purpose, because each one is a slowdown, yep. which is going to be built up into a battle. Exactly. So it's it's not not only Couldn't is it, it is, not only is it paced well, but it's paced in a uh, it, it almost has like a a rhythm to the pacing. Yeah. So all that said, uh, any other points that you'd like to make on this one? No, I think I think we've done a good job on this one. I think this is uh, it was a lot of fun to read and. Uh, you know, this is one of my all-time favorite runs, and I've had this issue for a long time, and I've just never, for whatever reason, never gotten a chance to crack it open, so I'm glad we did that. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm glad you picked this one, despite Scott's inevitable anger. Yes. <laughs> so, you want to rate it? Although I suspect I know where it's going. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember what the rating system is. I know that we do an A through F. Well, just, but, uh, just basically like a school grade. Yeah, you know, no, I remember it's A through F, but I'm trying to remember there. It's not just, isn't it like cover and story? Co- and, cover, story, art, overall. Yeah. Uh, cover, I'm going to give an A. I love the details on the cover. It, the cover is intriguing. The cover makes you want to open that book up. 
so A for the cover. Uh, story, I'm going to give uh, an A minus, just because I know it's going to get better. Uh, the art is an A for me. I just, I love John Byrne. I love what he does. And this is that era where, to me, he's in his finest hour. Uh, and overall, again, I say an A minus because it's a great start and it's only going to get better for this thing. Okay. Well, I differ from you only slightly because I'm okay. giving it A's across the board. I'm not giving any A minuses. Uh, wow. I think it's, I think it's all excellent. And yeah, I do agree. There are issues that it gets better and those are going to be the A pluses. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I have a tough time finding any flaws in this book, whether it be the cover, the artwork, the, the story, the pacing, uh, the characterization, everything about it I feel like is right on point. So I, I, yeah. I feel loath to give it anything but an A all across the board. I understand that fully. And I, Absolutely. Not that I disagree with your logic at all. But I just feel like, like I said, it's it's quality enough that I'm just going to bump the the issues where it gets better to an A plus. That's all. In fact, okay. if my memory serves me, the next issue is isn't that the one when uh, when the torch is uh, dealing with the person who burned themselves to death, or is that two issues from now? No, 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 no. The person who burned themselves to death, that's uh, that's like the Secret Wars two crossover, isn't it? I don't think so. I think it was in this first run. Oh, I think that's like in the two. I want to say like the two seventies or something. I thought it was in the in the next few issues, uh, which is the, well, just just the kid. The kid, yeah. the one where the kid burns himself to death, emulating the torch. Yes, I. Th I really thought that was a secret you, wars. You, you maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody will. I'm not going to look it up right now. So somebody could send us an email if they want to correct. Whichever, okay. whichever of us is wrong, and I'm not willing to go out on a limb and say it's not me. Uh, <laughs> it could well be me. But I'm just thinking about, like, you know, there are some points, some issues that come up that are considered, like, among the best issues of all time, period. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, they're A-pluses, that's all. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, I got you on that. That's all, you know, my only thought process, excuse me. So we go from I'm the Fantastic Four, one of the, the best issues we could do, to Galaxy Quest Global Warning number one. Yeah. That was released in, or the cover date on it is August of 2008. It's got a three ninety nine cover price, which we've already discussed the, I was going to say the pluses and minuses, but there are no pluses. We've discussed the minuses of three ninety nine cover prices. So even 10 years ago, they were doing... Three ninety nine cover price. Mm -hmm. That's hard to believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's it's crazy as far as I'm concerned. Published by IDW. I think a lot of the smaller publishers were quicker to raise their prices because their print runs required them to have a higher price in order to uh, to turn any kind of profit. Sure, makes sense. But just the same, you know. And also, you know, you're a smaller company. You have less of a foothold on the market. And a higher price is going to make it just that much harder for you to get your niche. On the other hand, we are mm -hmm. talking about a uh, licensed product here, so I'm sure a certain amount of that 399 is going right over to I don't remember if it was Paramount or whichever company produced Galaxy Quest. Uh, so you know, it, it becomes that much more expensive to produce because you're using licensed characters. Story yeah. is written by Scott Lobdell. The art and color are by Ilias. Kiraz, Kirazis, I don't know. 
Uh, let, Easy for you to say. Let, no, it isn't. Uh, it's lettered <laughs> by Robbie Robbins and edited by Tom Waltz. Chapter 1, Destiny Be Mine. Story opens with Commander Taggart outside of the NSEA Protector. He's disarming a beryllium particle mine. Mine. I said mind. Boy, I'm just out there. It seems, it seems that they've just completed a mission but taken on significant damage and are stranded close to a doomsday device. While Taggart is busy outside, the crew is dealing with issues on board, including Taggart ordering them to evacuate the perimeter. Despite resistance, Dr. Lazarus locks onto the commander, excuse me, the commander's coordinates and follows the order. They're at low power and can't return to him in time. And as they move away, Taggart gives his usual pep talk, finishing with his tagline, never give up, never surrender. But before he gets to, to the word surrender, the crew witnesses a blinding flash and explosion, and we're told the story is to be continued. Now that's that story, not ours, because we go on to chapter two, which is titled, And the Winner Is. Mm -hmm. The splash for the chapter shows the cast of Galaxy Quest on stage with Jason Nesmith holding up an Emmy high above. We see the cast, among others, in a screening room viewing the episode of Galaxy Quest that we were just seeing in the first chapter and learn that it is a two-hour pilot for their new series. Gwen DeMarco is declining to go to the after party, but goes anyway, looking annoyed at Jason and his ego. At the party, Jason insults his date by calling her the wrong name, but quickly finds another attractive woman to put the moves on. Alexander Dane, Dr. Lazarus, is told that the network has agreed to let him out of his contract and kill off Dr. Lazarus if the pilot goes to series. We see Jason and Gwen with other partners, but keeping an eye on each other. We spend a few character moments with other cast members. Jason starts to make a toast, and as he does, someone bursts in and tells them that they're being aired against a show with a band created digitally, featuring the Beatles, Elvis, and Buddy Holly, which takes all the enthusiasm out of the room. From there, we go to Chapter 3, UF Friends or Foes. Jason's in his car trying to talk on his phone with his agent, but having signal problems. He arrives at a beach house where the rest of the cast is waiting for him. They point out, point out to a giant spacecraft overhead, and we learn that it is the Judgment Ship, which always leaves a dead planet in its wake. The cast argues, and while they're arguing, a military helicopter lands by them. A colonel emerges and orders them all to come within, saying, Heaven help us, but the fate of the world rests upon your shoulders. To which Jason responds, Again? And the story is to be continued in issue number two. Now, I have to tell you, I love Galaxy Quest. I think it was a, just a fun, fun movie. Yes. Uh, I think this book kind of captures the spirit of the show, of the movie, rather. But... It's a, I think it's, a, it's either a three or four issue miniseries. I don't think it could be an ongoing series. I, I don't see how yeah. you, you know, how you could do the plot with having them have their fictional adventures and then get themselves tied into real adventures, and you know, to you could just get into the same storylines over and over and over again. And I don't see how that would work. But that's no. Sad. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, no. Oh, I was just going to say, and I'm happy that they they have him say at the end again, because 
you get that feeling as you're going through this. And, you know, when they opened up with the whole thing in the middle of a space adventure, I thought, oh, no, here we go. Uh, we're doing the same thing we did before. And then it turns out to be the pilot. And I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. This is intriguing. Uh, then you get the, the little... Uh, the little bit of uh, espionage within the show when uh, Dane, you know, is, is uh, trying to get his character, Dr. Lazarus, killed off. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting because that's, like that's like a TV thing. You know, there's there's something to that. And it, that grabs me. And then, then when they turn it into kind of, uh, you guys have to go pretend to be your, your characters again in space. Uh, I'm just not there. I, you know, and I don't know what else I would expect from another Galaxy Quest other than that. Mm -hmm. But it just just doesn't sit right with me as a plot. Well, see, now, and, and I'll tell you, I have not read issue two. I don't know if you mm -hmm. have. No, uh, no. But I don't know exactly where they're going to go, if they're going to somehow turn that on its ear a little bit and make it acceptable. I hope so. So I, I, I hope I'll... So. I'll keep an open mind enough to say that if they can do that, then I'm fine with it. Mm. But if it is just, you know, here we have another uh, extraterrestrial world, extraterrestrial world, where they believe that these series are, you know, archival tapes. Uh, yeah, I, I have a problem with that. I agree with you. Because it's just, mm. you know, you just can't keep doing that over and over again. Which is why, again, why I don't think you could have a real ongoing series with these characters. No, it, it would have to be a show than a show if you were to do that. And, and you know, honestly, I think that would be more interesting to me as a miniseries would be to show the adventures of the characters on the show more so than, you know, you're almost by default having to repeat the first film if you do anything with the actors. See, the thing about the actors is it's fun to look at Jason Nesmith and think of him as William Shatner. And yes. Alexander Dean, and think of him as Leonard Nimoy. Beyond yes. that, the other characters are all interesting, but not necessarily necessary. Uh, mm -hmm. The two of them are, are the you know the the key points in, in this in the movie and in the, in this series, I would imagine. Uh, but to see you know like in the movie when they're on their adventure, and they they start like pointing to the fact that Nesmith is is posing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love that. I think that's so great. And you have to, I think you do have to have a little bit of that meta sense about it or mm -hmm. it loses the fun. Yeah. So if they just made this a series about the, uh, you know, about the actual Galaxy Quest TV show and didn't have them in their actor roles, I think you'd lose that aspect of it and it would just lose, you know, a lot of the air would come out of it and it wouldn't be as much fun. Well, I think you could play with those, you know, those little tropes. I think you can play with them within that. And maybe it's too much of a wink and a nod. I don't know. But I just, I, I don't see, and maybe it's the limits of my imagination here, but I just don't see a way you can make uh, another story involving the cast and some kind of an intergalactic incident and make it not come off as a retread. Um, and I'm not disagreeing with you on that. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think the answer is just show them within the series. Mm -hmm. I think you could maybe have the the adventure be within the series, 
but with an understanding that it is just a series, so every once in a while you see them in their civilian identities, but you don't necessarily have the civilian identities involved in the adventure. Yeah. Now, that may not be worthwhile because you wouldn't have the life and death stakes. Yeah, the stakes would be very low at that point. You're very right. So I don't know. But I'm, but, I'm, yeah, uh, and, and again, I, I'm going to concede the same thing to you, that maybe it's just the limits of my imagination. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I do, you know, and the thing, though, is I'm interested in this whole uh, Dane getting let out of his contract, killing off his character, not telling anybody that they're going to kill off his character. I mean, that's that's interesting to me because that is a that is one of those Hollywood things that happens. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's kind of playing on the Leonard Nimoy, you know, at least whether whether real or apocryphal, because people deny it. Although I believe it is true that you know Leonard Nimoy saying he wouldn't be in the Wrath of Khan unless they killed off his character. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's playing Which playing on that. He's denied that, but I but yeah, but it's been said certainly. Yeah. So. It, it's definitely playing with that thought process, and and I like that. I like that aspect of the book, and I, I you know I would hate what well, that aspect of these characters. Uh, I would hate to lose that in further adventures. Uh, I would I would have liked to have seen a further adventure on the big screen, but you know, with Alan Rickman's mm -hmm. passing, I think that's no longer even a possibility. I completely agree. And, and not only is it not only do I think it's not a possibility, I think if the other actors wanted to do it, it would be a mistake. Yep. So I don't think we have an option for that. Uh, you know, maybe and maybe again, I don't know where they go with issue two. Maybe Scott Lobdell twists this plot a little bit enough to make it really work for us. Uh, if if I if I do get around to reading it at some point. Uh, on the other hand, I'm thinking it probably is exactly what we expect. Yeah. And then that, that would be a disappointment because I do want the people who are writing the books I read to be more clever writers than I am. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, artistically, I have some issues in that I don't, I don't feel like these characters are, with the exception of Rickman's character, I don't think they're terribly on model. No, you know, I, I have all sorts of issues whenever we deal with licensed characters. Yeah. Because I generally don't want to see them photo referenced. No, and, you know, Marvel's Star Wars in the last year or so has been gotten really bad. It's not just doing photo reference, but, but plopping in photoshopped versions of the characters. I mean, it's just they're not even using photo references anymore. They're using photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I mean, what's the term for that? I, I forgot the. Oh, uh, 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 oh, golly! It's what Byrne was doing with the with the Star Trek. Yeah. I can't even think what the name of it is now. Yeah. And somebody's uh, going to email in and Fumetti. Fumetti. Okay, so nobody has to email. Yeah. In. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I, I I've always I, I've never been a big fan of Fumetti, and people tell me, oh no, you should you got to read the Byrne. Star Trek for many books because they're great, but I, I have yet to read any of them, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I tried to read a couple of them, and to me, you know, we talked earlier about how great his pacing was in that Fantastic Four, and that's what kills those things to me. I can't finish them because the pacing's off. And it's, I think it's harder to, to pace them well because you're limited in what yeah. what scenes you have. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have to kind of work in the confines of what pictures are available to you. You're absolutely right. And what you can tweak. But then there's also this weird thing. I think it's around page 
I want to say 13. Uh, let me make sure that's right. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Page 15. Where they're at the party and they're raising a toast to themselves and then this guy bursts in and suddenly it becomes a manga for one panel. Mm -hmm. And then becomes not a manga after that. Well, it, it almost seems, the artwork actually almost seems to be borderline manga at points. Because uh, mm. it's definitely not photorealistic at all. Uh, no. they're, they're clearly, you know, caricature models. Uh, and I, I don't know that that's the choice I would have made. You know, and, and it's yeah. it varies too. Like, if you look at the second to last page where it has the, you know, stay tuned next issue, the way they're drawn in that picture, if, it, if they had consistently looked that way throughout the book, I don't think I would have minded it as much. But I don't yeah. feel that they did. Nope, I agree. Uh, I think they look a little too there, goofy there is, at times. Yeah, there is a real inconsistency to them, particularly Jason. Yeah, and I think you're right. Uh, I think Dr. Lazarus uh, or Dane is the most consistent throughout, but even he's yeah. got his issues. Uh, I'm looking like at the uh, the after party. Everybody looks very cartoonish mm. in that. Yes, yes. So I, I'm, I, I definitely don't care for the art style in this. It's, it's just, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's bad. It's not my style is really what it comes down to. Uh, yeah. But I also don't think it's a, a good choice of style for a licensed product like this. I think you, you no. want it to have a light tone to it, but I think you want it to have a light tone with just a little bit less cartoon tone. I think you want people who pick up the book to be able to look at the characters and recognize them. And that doesn't mean photorealism. I mean, Jack Davis could, could draw people, <laughs> great caricatures of people that didn't certainly look identical to them, but but you still, you knew who they were by looking at them. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Bill and I recently covered a, an old 1950s issue of a Honeymooners comic book. And we were praising it because they were actually more cartoonish in that but they seem to be on model fairly well. Yes. And this one, I think, like you said, I think the inconsistencies of how they're drawn kind of jumps out at you here a little bit. Yeah. And it makes it a little harder to follow unless you're really paying attention to who's who. No, completely agree. Completely agree. And the other thing I don't understand is the chapters in the story. I don't. I don't see the purpose. It almost makes it between the cartoony art style and that. It almost makes it look like this is a like pure heart in space type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost an Archie comic. I'm okay with the first chapter being separate because that's the uh, you know the the actual pilot episode. Yeah, but it's just kind of weird to break it there. But you didn't. The way well, you do. you could have broken it there, had the two to be continued, and then just continue the story without having it be chapter two. Yeah, and the to be continued was like, oh, wait a minute, what? And then I realized later that, oh, it's actually, that's actually, I think, on the pilot. And then the the break between Chapter 2 and Chapter 3 almost strikes me as a little bit of lazy laziness to it. Because they, they yeah. didn't have a way to segue from the party to the get-together afterwards. So, you know what, we'll just make it a new chapter. Yeah, and both, both new chapters had titled, you know, splash pages that weren't story pages, 
which again leads me to wonder if, you know, were we struggling? To, between that and the sheer number of two-page spreads in here, it makes me wonder if he was not padding the issue. Yeah. Because there's about four two-page spreads in this thing. Yeah. I, um, I hate that we can't disagree on anything here. <laughs> but I'm, I'm totally with you. There's, there's full splash pages and there's double splash pages. And it, it's, yeah. it, you know, think of how long it took you to synopsize your book and how long it took me. Uh, yeah. You know, because there just wasn't that much story for me to cover. And my book was 50 cents and yours was three ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> and to get the whole story on yours, it would have been 16 bucks and mine was 50 cents. <laughs> Although I could probably buy my whole story for a buck now because I would imagine this, is, would imagine this is in quarter bins. Yeah, this is not a thing that, that uh, people are jumping up. In fact, why don't we just send this to Professor Allen and let him do something? <laughs> I think he could, he could definitely cover it on his. <laughs> All right. So I guess we can rate this one. It's not going to get A's across the board, I'll tell you that. No, uh, it's not, not going to get A's across the board. Now, the cover I don't think is badly drawn, but I, do, no. but I don't like the choices. I don't. I don't. I. I, I like having uh, was it Gwen and uh, Lazarus and I forget what the the young uh, navigator's name is. I, I can't remember. I don't but remember either. So I, I, think, uh, it was, I, I. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to come up with it. I like having them in the background looking on. I just don't. I don't care for the way that uh, that I, I'm always. I keep getting the two of them mixed up. Jason Nesmith. Uh, is uh, where are my notes? <laughs> Commander, Commander Taggart. Oh, but the way I don't like the way he's drawn. I don't like the way he's centered. I don't like the angle. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't like the way the outer space looks beyond him. There's a planet every two inches. Uh, so I'm I'm just thinking this cover could have been much much better. I'm going to just give it a. A C, because I don't think it's drawn terribly, but I just think the choices could have been a lot better. The interior art, I'm not crazy about the style, but I want to put that aside. And instead of personal preferences, try and just kind of rate it on the artwork itself. Uh, it is inconsistent. I think the models aren't necessarily as good as they could be. Uh, the pacing is kind of questionable uh and the story just kind of flies through with because there's not that much depth to it but that's more the writing uh i'm going to give the artwork a c minus in the book because i just think it could have been a lot better the story i feel like it did kind of capture the characters uh and it did set up a plot now where it goes and whether it does it well or not i don't know uh but if I'm reading it just on this issue alone, I'm going to say a B on the story because it was somewhat entertaining to me. Uh, and overall, I'm going to give the book a C plus. Okay, we're not too far off here. Uh, I'm going to give the cover a straight up C. I agree with you about space. Uh, I don't like the way any of the faces are drawn on the cover. 
Uh, and the layout is exactly opposite of what it should be to me. The ship is at a funky angle, and he's out in space, you know, doing work on this bomb. He should be at the funky angle. I think that would be a more interesting photo because he almost looks like he's standing on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd put the ship at a, at a normal angle, make that reality, and then put him out there in the funky angle because he's out there taking the risk. You know, he's the one who's not on solid ground. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, I, yeah, I've got to give the cover a C. And, and it's not just space being full of stuff, but just space is all red. And I, I don't get that. I don't get the color job with it. Um... The art inside, I I just find it so remarkably inconsistent stylistically and uh, with with regards to its drawing characters, I, I, I've got to give that a C. So covers a C, art's a C. Story um, has its moments, and like I said, there's some things I like about it, but at the same time, it feels like it's setting us up for a retread of the first film and, you know... To me, with these miniseries that are paced for the trade, the biggest question you have to ask yourself about the success of that first issue is, does it make me want to buy the next issue? And the answer on this one is no. And I'm going to again, I'm going to take you away from the three ninety nine price tag. So I'm going to yes. say, not only not does it make you want to buy the next issue, if I'm sitting here with the second issue in my hand next to you, do you want to read it? Mm -hmm. Not really. Okay. The only thing that the only thing that might save it, the only thing that might save it, is that I know it will be quick. Because there'll be three title pages and four two-page spreads. <laughs> so, you know, I, I might if it were just sitting there, I might do it purely for the fact that I know it will be quick. And sometimes I just get anal about finishing stories. But even even being who I am about stuff like that, I hate just not finishing a thing. You know, I, I, I've got a friend who's an author, uh, Jack McDevitt, who he gets frustrated with me because I'll talk to him about what a terrible book I'm reading. Yeah, and he always goes, cool. why, why do you keep reading it? And I go, well, I just feel like I should because I started. He goes, no, look, you don't owe them anything. They owe you something. Yeah, but when, you know, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on your side of that argument and I would... Hate yeah. to disagree with Jack McDevitt, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, when you've already dedicated, say, five hours of your life to reading it, and it's only yeah. going to take two more to conclude it, I'd rather just have a conclusion to it than have it as an unfinished yeah. thing. Same thing happens to me a lot of times with movies that we're watching, that I'll be disappointed with where it's going, and I'm not thrilled with it, but I've already watched the first hour and a half of a two-hour movie, and I say, you know what, I want to watch the last half an hour just to see how it ends. Because I've already dedicated yeah. this much of my time to it, and it's going to be more empty. It's going to even be worse empty time if I don't see the conclusion. Yeah, I understand that too. Believe so. Me. That's that's kind of my thoughts. Is you know, you, it, it's almost like when you're uh, when you're pot committed in poker. If, if you play poker, you know you've, you've already put in so much money that you can't fold. Because if you fold, you've already lost so much money in that pot that it's not worth your while to stay in with as little money as you're going to have left. Yeah, I had not heard that, but uh, it makes sense. Yeah, so you're better off taking your chances, throw it all in, see if you're going to win. And if you're not going to win, you weren't going to win anyway, because you've already dedicated so, too much to it. So for the interesting TV drama, I'm going to give that a C. So overall, I mean, to me, cover C, art C, story C, the book's a C. Okay. It's a straight up C. I don't hate it, 
but it, it's it's because it didn't make me feel enough to make me hate it. <laughs> well, we're we're, yeah. we're in a similar place though on it. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a book. So you know, it's not we, they can't all be winners. Scott's not going to be jealous of us on nope. this one. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> You know, in, in some ways, though, I, I think back to, and I don't know if you ever listened to the episode when we covered an issue of the 1960s F Troop cartoon. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah. And if you look to what licensed properties were back then, this is actually a great step forward from that. But that just, well, shows, least, that just shows you how bad that was. Yeah, they're, they're at least playing in the right sandbox now. Yeah, I mean, you remember remember Gold Key Star Trek comic? Oh yeah, which almost makes you think they didn't actually watch the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly didn't. Uh, you know, we talk about ourselves not having the imagination to do certain things. Uh, neither did those writers. No, you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for Galaxy Quest and. Uh, I'm glad we were able to find time to get together and do this because it's just Me too. Not, not frequent enough. No, I completely agree with you. Completely. We'll have to do this again. You just call me and tell me when you need me and I'll be there. Sounds good, and I will definitely be doing it. Thanks again for coming on. And Absolutely. thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Oh, sorry. I was eating a Pop-Tart. <laughs> <laughs>